0: You're listening to the front-page edition of All Things
1: Considered. I'm Lindsay Science, And I'm Michael Higdon. The State of the Union might have been last night, but the reactions today are what's making headlines. University of Florida's own Michael Martinez, a political science professor, sat down with us. And Florida 89.1's Ben Bornstein has the story.
2: While President Obama spoke last night about achieving bipartisanship with many proposals, others are not quite as optimistic. University of Florida political science professor Michael Martinez says the address was a long laundry list of things on the president's agenda, but bipartisan reform will vary from case to case.
3: He had a very long laundry list of things that uh, on his agenda, um, and in some ways it sort of echoed the um, inaugural speech. Um, the inaugural speech was you know, more lofty words and, and more uh, about ideas, but these were some some practical kinds of things but there was a long list of them there were you know everything from you know elementary ed to higher ed to to innovation hubs and um and then all and medicare reform and entitlement reform so there was just a whole list of things i i don't think he's going to be able to achieve bipartisanship on um on all of them um i think some of the things were thrown out as um, uh for example, the increase in minimum wage. I don't I really don't see how that's going to go anywhere in the house. Um, I that and so that was sort of thrown out as a pitch to the Democratic base, I think. Um, and to sort of lay out sort of where he is consistent with his inaugural message. But I think there were some other kinds of things that, Um, that where he might be able to achieve some bipartisanship um, and, um, you know, immigration reform, parts of immigration reform are are there. I even think parts of gun control are there. I think there's generally support for universal background checks. There's broad popular support for that. The NRA poses it now um, in contrast to their earlier position. Um, but there, uh, but there's there's pretty broad support for that. Um, but there are also other parts of his gun control proposals that probably aren't going to get bipartisan support. So I think it's going to be on a case by case basis. Um, there were a lot of things, uh, you know, as, as, as everybody knows, uh, Republicans in the House are pretty. There are a lot of Republicans in the House who are pretty strong deficit hawks. Uh, and um, so they're going to be watching the cost on a lot of these programs, and, and, um, so, um, and, and I think we saw that in Senator Rubio's response last night. Um, so, um, so I think bipartisanship is going to be tough, but it can happen on a case-by-case basis. Um, I think it'll probably, um, in a lot of cases, if there is bipartisanship, it'll probably start in the Senate, um, where um, where the Republicans still have the kind of structural advantage of of uh, on a lot of on a lot of bills um, they you know the you need 60 votes effectively to pass anything major in the Senate. Um, and so um, they got some negotiating power in the Senate. And so if they can reach, if the Republican senators can ma- reach some agreement with the majority Democrats in the Senate, I think that provides a bridge then to go to the House on some of these issues like immigration, on some of the issues like, like the universal background checks, uh, on, uh, where you might not get a, um, all of the votes that you'd need from the Republican caucus in the House to pass something, but combined with Democrats there. So I think there's there's a process by which bipartisanship can happen in this. Uh, it's not an easy process at all, um, given the the differences between the president and the and, and the majority in the house.
2: Martinez says bipartisanship hasn't changed in the past, and bridging the divide will prove to be a challenge.
3: It's sort of a structural condition that we have here um, that um, that the. Um, you know, the, the founding fathers meant for things to be tough to pass, right? Which is why we have separation of powers in the first place and a bicameral uh, Congress in the first place. Um, and so the things were intended to be tough, laws were intended to be tough to pass. Um, and, um, and so that's, um, that, that's a structural condition of the American political system, and, and um, so we live with it. Um, it's even harder um, when you've got a president and a majority of one house um, that, is, that are so um, ideologically different um, that you know, the president laid out in his inaugural address, and, and to some extent last night, um, you know, kind of a principled liberal uh, vision of where the gov- where the public should go, saying that government can be part of the solution. And a lot of the conservative Republicans think government is basically the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, um, and so that, that you know, bridging that divide is really kind of tough. Um, I I think it will happen on some issues. I think the president, la- the one the one area which it may, uh, he may have made some progress there. Um, is telling Democrats, look, um, you're, we're going to have to do something on entitlements or the other domestic programs that you value are just going to be crowded out, right? So if you don't do something about um, Social Security and Medicare, especially Medicare right now, uh, in the long run, um, it, the, the health, cost, uh, health costs are, are, you know, I think we may have reached that peak in terms of health costs as a percentage of the total government. Uh, budget but um, but it is but, but they are such a big part of the uh, government's budget now um, that they're going to crowd out every other domestic program. so you know doing anything for elementary education or highway education uh, or, or higher education or, or infrastructure in terms of roads and bridges um, any of that stuff is just not going to be possible if, if they don't do that and I think the president sent a message, Um, that Democrats need to take that pretty seriously. It was a pretty um, almost a veiled message to them. Um, He didn't dwell on it a lot because he had to have this whole big laundry list of things. So that may be the one area where, um, you know, he's talking to the Democratic base and saying, look, we have to be on board on that side of the equation here uh, if we're going to be able to accomplish any of the other things. So that may be the bridge that, that, that helps to achieve some level of bipartisanship.
2: Martinez adds, everyone likes the idea of tax reform, but Republicans and Democrats may see things differently.
3: In principle, everybody likes the idea of tax reform because everybody sees things that are wrong with the tax system that we have. whether everybody agrees on what's wrong this particulars about what's wrong with the tax system is is the other question um, and republicans and democrats may be seeing things differently in terms of that, of that so i they may get some things done on tax reform um that but i'm not sure that um you know it's going to be the key to um to um solving the deficit problem um, It depends on how much reform they do and how much revenue is generated from it. But that's the other big question, is that Republicans see tax reform as a way to uh, close some loopholes and make the tax system more efficient. Um, Some Democrats see tax reform as a way to close loopholes and generate more revenue. And so there are different sorts of goals that they have. Um, And that goes back to the big differences between the two parties um, right now.
2: The president spoke about everything from climate control to tax reform to education, but one of the main topics was the troops in Afghanistan.
3: Well, it's important, obviously, because our sons and daughters and nieces and nephews and are um, you know in in danger there. Um, but it's also important in terms of the goals that um, that the military is trying to accomplish in defeating Al Qaeda. Um, so, so there are, there are foreign policy goals and security goals that are important, but. You know, but you know, our our folks are in danger there. So, uh, so I think it's important. Um, the um, I, I think here, you know, the president is the commander in chief, though, and he's got more uh, as as the commander in chief. He has more unilateral power there than he does on uh, on program on a lot of the domestic programs that he uh, that he suggested last night. So, so I think if he you know, if he says we're going to do it and doesn't change his mind between now and then, it's pretty likely it's going to get done.
2: Martinez thinks the president will be successful in areas of immigration reform and some parts of gun control. He says the American people, after watching the State of the Union address last night, could be a little more optimistic, but the issues are still there.
0: Florida Republican Senator Marco Rubio's national stature continued to rise last evening. Marco Laszlo, or sorry, Matt Laszlo, reports from Washington on his Republican response to the president's State of the Union address.
4: Senator Rubio has never been shy when discussing his humble upbringing in a family of Cuban immigrants. Last night, he used his personal story to blast the president's call for tax increases while also offering a message of hope. This opportunity to make it to the middle class or beyond, no matter where you
5: start out in life, it isn't bestowed on us from Washington. It comes from a vibrant free economy where people can risk their own money to open a business. And when they succeed, they hire more people.
4: The speech offered Florida's junior senator a perch to reach one of his largest audiences to date.
6: It's a big spotlight moment for him, for sure.
4: That's The Washington Post's Manuel Roig-Francia. He's the author of The Rise of Marco Rubio. He says getting tapped by party leaders to deliver the Republican response to President Obama shows the party has high hopes for this young senator.
6: They clearly are positioning him to be a leader in the Republican Party. It seems patently obvious that he's interested in uh, making a run uh, for the White House.
4: In taking full advantage of the national stage, Rubio did something no one has done before. He delivered his response in two languages.
5: Soy Marco Rubio.
4: With Republicans struggling to reach out to the growing number of Hispanic voters, Roy Francia says Rubio made a splash for the party and himself.
6: It's going to be viewed as a historic moment. It'll have that patina of something that has never, ever happened before.
4: Now all eyes are on Rubio to see if he can do something Republican leaders have failed to do in recent years. Attract Latino voters into the grand old party. I'm Matt Laszlo in Washington.
1: Even with the news of the Pope stepping down, services for Ash Wednesday continue around the world. Florida's 89.1 WUFT-FM's Lauren Verno has more.
7: around the world are attending mass today for ash wednesday this holiday will mark the beginning of lent and final days of the pope before he steps down at the end of this month saint augustine priest jose mesa says he doesn't believe the people will view this holiday any differently
8: i don't know it is you know this process of a pope resigning you have to to look at it from the perspective a pope is just the bishop of rome and he's the pope because he's the successor of st peter but rome is a diocese and we have been through, recently, our bishop retired, Bishop Galeon retired, and we have a new bishop. So the process is pretty much set. It is, it's very smooth. The only difference is that usually at, at pope, a new pope comes when the other one died, this one, and so there is a period of mourning, and then the conclave is called. This time there is no mourning because the pope, fortunately, is still alive
7: father Messa explains how the pope resigning is just a sign that the church is changing with the times
8: but it's it's a little bit like it's unusual because a uh, pope resigning uh, but it's also the awareness that times have changed medically we can live much longer uh, before you no know, pope retired they died in office and because they had the, the the energy but now people can live much longer than they so it's only fair that the man should have moment of rest. It doesn't have to go all the way to the end. And he's, he's a very big academic. I mean, he's a big thinker and he's a very honest man. So
7: he says how he doesn't expect this mass to be any different than any other Ash Wednesday.
8: Oh no, there will be no difference. We're still preparing for, for our Pope Benedict. Once he resigns, we take that off until there's a new Pope. So (laughs) it's it's, the prayer goes, our, you know, Pope Benedict, or Bishop Victor, Bishop Felipe. So what they will do is you take it out and for the three days that they might take to elect the Pope and then put it back on. And then there will be, whatever they say change, there will be new ideas coming in, which is very exciting that we don't know what's going to happen.
7: In the end, the Pope is human. Him stepping down is just a symbol of that.
8: Actually, it's, it's a it's encouraging because the Church has the capacity to adapt to new times, and you know, that's you know we throughout the centuries the church has changed it's not not the same one that six hundred years ago is not the same one that twelve hundred years ago so there is a, and it's sort of an award, it brings you an awareness of the new times and of, of we that we change and you know. maybe you know hundred years ago, this had been some, something really incredible. Now people just, as I said, you know, people it's, it's unusual. Mm-hmm. It's exciting because it's a new era, and it's uh, in the sense of popes didn't, didn't resign, be, resign before, and now they do. <laughs> so it's so the awareness that there's most, very much a human being there.
7: The pope will be stepping down at the end of this month. The church plans on electing a new pope a little after that. For Florida's 89.1 WUFT-FM, I'm Lauren Verno.
0: It's almost Valentine's Day, and WUFT's Jane Schwed talks to people about what the day means to them.
9: With just one day left before Valentine's Day, florists and chocolatiers are now in the midst of their busiest days of the year. Although today is busy for these shop owners, it's not as hectic as you would think. Thornbrook Chocolates manager Kathleen Blage says on the day before Valentine's Day, men are still calm and come in knowing exactly what they want to get for their Valentine.
10: Well, they're buying their sweetheart something, so they're pretty attentive. I'm really impressed with the guys who come in, and they know what their girlfriends and wives, especially significant others, what they like, and um, they take care to make sure that what they're giving them is that special gift.
9: So the calm, prepared men tend to come in February 13th, but it's the morning of when the chaos begins. Crevasse florist owner Barbara Crevasse says although a lot of men have bought flowers in advance, there are always those ones who come in unprepared and flustered.
11: They're
12: desperate, they're late, they're in trouble, they need something, and you know, so then it's kind of crazy.
9: Whether they are buying long stem roses or chocolate-covered strawberries, men are not the only ones coming into shop on Valentine's Day. Originally a day for lovers, this holiday has turned into a day for anyone to appreciate those that they love. Parents will buy chocolates for their kids, girls for their best friends, grandmothers for their grandchildren. Regardless, Valentine's Day has a unique meaning for everyone. Well,
5: we've been married 37 and a half years now, so uh, this just means we're still together and our marriage is still very strong. I think it's more to show your appreciation and your love for your wife or spouse or partner.
9: It's just a day for us to tell everybody that we love them and, you know, have a good time together.
10: I'm really glad that Valentine's Day has gone beyond the traditional romantic holiday. It's nice that we kept the romantic aspect of it, but people are including all t- types of relationships in Valentine's Day. You know, parents will buy something for their children, and friends are getting little gifts for their friends just to show them that they love them.
9: In the end, romance or not, tomorrow is a day to celebrate the people in your life that you love. You're listening to the Florida's 89.1 i I'm Jane Schwed in Gainesville.
1: A battle over whether internet travel companies should collect Florida sales tax. As Florida Public Radio's Jessica Palumbo reports, Florida counties are appealing to its lower court's rulings.
9: Online travel companies like Expedia say they should not have to collect taxes on the discounted rooms they help hotels rent. Counties are saying the companies are getting away with a scam by claiming they don't rent rooms and are not responsible to collect the taxes. Lawyer for the county's Bob Martinez says they're using semantics to avoid taxes.
3: If the public knew that you could not rent a room by calling Expedia, Orbitz, Travelocity, or Priceline, they'd be out of business. But in these courtrooms, where they come in, they tell you is, no, we don't rent a room.
9: The companies argued they merely facilitate booking, and the state tax code requires only the owners of property to collect tax on renting it. The district court has not said when it will release its opinion. For Florida Public Radio, I'm Jessica Palumbo in Tallahassee.
0: The Gainesville City elections are coming up in a few weeks, and Florida's 89.1 WUFTFM's Virginia Hamrick talked with Alachua County Supervisor of Elections Pam Carpenter about how to make sure your vote counts. The city
8: of Gainesville
12: has its election coming up on okay. March 19th. and in vote in that election. First of all, you must be a resident of the city of Gainesville. And two, you must be registered 29 days prior to the election. So the last day to register if you want to vote in the upcoming city of Gainesville election is Tuesday, February 19th. Um, 29 days before the election is actually Monday, but Monday is a postal holiday. So the books will close. Uh, the next business day that the post office is open which is Tuesday so uh, residents can go ahead and fill in their voter registration applications online then they would download it print it out sign it and mail it to us making sure it was postmarked no later than February 19th or they could drop them off at the office they could come into the office and fill out a voter registration application or they can drop their application in our night mail slot in our front door, and they can do that up until midnight on the 19th.
1: What do you think is the most efficient way to voters to register?
12: Well, there are lots of uh, different ways that you can uh, register to vote, and it's whatever is most convenient for the voter. The key is to go ahead and make sure that you, you are registered before midnight on the 19th.
1: You said that they have to be Gainesville residents. Does this exclude college students who their permanent address is not their dorm or apartment in Gainesville?
12: You have to be, you know, well, Florida law says that you must be registered in the precinct of your legal residence. So if a student has moved their legal residence to Gainesville, and they live within the city limits of Gainesville, they would be eligible to vote as long as they are registered 29 days before the election. If if their legal residence is, say, still at their mother and father's home in another county, they would not be entitled to vote in the city of Gainesville election. Because, again, Florida law says you must register in the precinct of your legal residence.
1: I know what's big is the mayoral race, but what else are voters choosing? everyone
12: living within the city limits of Gainesville who's registered to vote will be able to vote in the mayor's race. Then there's also a District 4 commission race on the ballot, but only those citizens living within District 4 are eligible to vote on that race because the city of Gainesville... It's a single-member district community, which means that only the people living within the district are eligible to vote for the district commission seats. There's also a question on the ballot about moving the city of Gainesville election to a date in the odd year in the fall and changing the length of uh, tenure for the commissioners. So there's something on the ballot for everyone to vote on, I would just like to encourage everyone that if they live in the city limits of Gainesville and they're not registered to vote yet, that they go ahead and get registered before midnight on February 19th. I would also encourage anyone who has moved or had an address change or any change to their voter record to go ahead and get that updated before they go to the polls. And they can do that by stopping in our office or just giving us a call. They can also go to our website and make changes online at votalachua.com, print out the changes and mail them to us.
1: The University of Florida has added a new addition to their research. University of Florida Mechanical and Aerospace Engineering Professor Peter Ifew says drones constructed and used by UF are not like those being used in combat.
10: So we actually are producers of these airplanes and we use them for Various things, for instance, uh, currently most of our uses for natural resources where we fly airplanes and take images of, of places like the Everglades or Lake Okeechobee or other wildlife areas to count species, number of species there like alligators and birds or map out areas of invasive plant species and things like that.
1: He says the drones being built by the University of Florida are used primarily for wildlife research. If you says these unmanned air vehicles are ideal for research in places like the Everglades and Lake Okeechobee.
10: This research has been going on for more than a decade. So uh, myself teamed with uh, Franklin Percival and the Geomatics Group here at the University of Florida. And Franklin Percival works for the uh Wildlife Co-op unit here. Um, we've been teaming for about a decade in developing these airplanes to again do th- things for uh, ecology and wildlife purposes.
1: If you says there's a lot of things they have to go through in order to fly and operate the
10: drones. Well, we've had approval through the FAA to fly these airplanes through what's called a Certificate of Authorization, a COA, uh, for many years now and we've also been working closely with the Army Corps of Engineers who have their own authorization to fly. So we're one of the first universities to receive one of these authorizations. Um, And those authorizations are given by the FAA to fly in a certain area over a certain period of time. And to do that we have to fill out lots of paperwork. Uh, We have to actually fly these with a real pilot, not just somebody on a joystick. And uh, there's a lot of hoops we have to go through. So there, are, the certificates of authorization are hard to acquire. Uh, it takes a, But we have a, a very successful track record that the FAA has a lot of confidence in.
1: If you says UF you drones are able to take high-resolution pictures of birds, alligators, and plant life to give us a more detailed understanding of them
10: so where in google maps you would say have every pixel was about one foot on the ground our imagery is something like every pixel is about one inch on the ground and so now we're able to not only see birds but we're able to see bird eggs and nests we're able to not just see alligators but we're able to tell you how big the alligator is we're able to now count bird species we're able to definitively distinguish different plant species from each other because we have much better resolution. So we have not only better optical resolution and accuracy, but we also have better temporal resolution, which means we can fly these airplanes once a week, for instance, to to see how things change over time or as often as we want, whereas otherwise you'd have to wait till the next Google image is refreshed.
1: He adds the type of work UF is doing with its drones has nothing to do with spying or weapons.
10: Well, I think there's a lot of hype in the uh, in the media these days about drones and weaponized drones and spying on people and uh, none of that applies to the type of work we're doing. The type of work we're doing is flying in remote areas, basically taking pictures of birds and alligators and plants and and topography. So this is very different from what you hear uh, in the news. And what you hear in the news is highly sensationalized and has nothing to do with the type of work that we're doing. Um, We never put any weapons on our airplanes. We, we, We don't put any surveillance cameras and things like that.
1: If you add, there are a lot of benefits to having drones, one being they are a lot safer as opposed to a manned aircraft. He says plane crashes are the number one cause of work-related mortality. And if we can collect the same type of data with drones, then we are saving lives.
0: The Veterans Hospital in Gainesville got a special visit today as part of National Salute to Veteran Patients. Florida's Lieutenant Governor Jennifer Carroll says she is very grateful for the veterans.
11: The Salute to Veterans Week is for us to show the veterans how much we care and love them. This is naturally also to Valentine's Week, and what better way for us to come out and really show how much we appreciate their service to this country, to our state, and they're not forgotten.
0: Carol adds she feels closer to the veterans because she served in the military herself.
11: Well, I, I went to Lake City. We visited a the hospital there as well, and coming here to uh, Gainesville, to the ho- VA hospital, to meet with some of our veterans, to let them know from the bottom of our hearts, at, from the executive level, that the governor and I truly appreciate their service for the state and this country as well, and that we appreciate them. So coming here in person lets them see that rather than just sending a letter, so it personalizes it even more so. And then I get a chance to give them my coin <laughs> so they can know and appreciate that we do have a, a bond and a relationship. I served 20 years in the military, so I know exactly the hardships that they have gone through and the family separations and the commitment that they have taken a time away from their home environment and their families to serve this country and what it meant to them to do so and what it still means for us to make sure that we do our best, that we have this relationship that they understand that we care for them and love them.
0: She says there are several
11: resources provided to
0: make sure the veterans are taken care of.
11: Well, the veterans have been very, very pleased to see me. I mean, they they appreciate that from the governor's office, somebody's coming out to see them, taking the time to do so. And I tell them it's nothing for what they have done for our country, for us taking the time to come and meet with them personally, to, to show them our love, means absolutely nothing, because. This is what they have done and the commitment that they have made need to be appreciated and shown appreciation over and over again. But for this state, we've done a lot for our veterans to show them that we truly appreciate them from the license plates that we've had for our Purple Heart veterans and and our veterans in the nursing homes and our veterans that are still ambulatory in their homes that we have a relationship between the Florida Department of Veterans Affairs, the VA hospitals and clinics, that we're working in unison to make sure that the level of care the quality of care and the access to care is there so that they can have all the needs that they they want and need to make sure that they are also um, protected and guarded as well.
0: The purpose of the National Salute to Veteran Patients is to pay tribute and express appreciation to veterans, increase community awareness of the role of the VA Medical Center, and encourage citizens to visit hospitalized veterans and to become involved as volunteers.
1: The bill that is proposing to change the way government employees structure their retirement is coming under a lot of fire from public employee groups. The Florida Retirement Security Coalition, in a conference call with reporters, said the bill will be costly to taxpayers. The current plan is regulated by government officials and employers, while the proposed plan will change it to an individually regulated regulated plan, much like a 401k. President of the Florida Professional Firefighters, Gary Rainey says the current system is already working better than many people would have expected.
5: The goal of any pension plan, whether it be private or public, uh, for a defined benefit plan is to be at least 80% 80 funded. And Florida's uh, retirement system has never been below 86% funded since 1997. And for about 11 of the last 15 years, It has actually been over 100% funded, enough to actually allow the Florida legislature to pull $12 billion from the pension fund and use it for other state shortfalls and other state projects.
1: But Republican State Representative Jason Brodeur says although the current plan is working, if legislatures don't do something now, it could hurt future generations.
13: The lesson we've learned from a lot of the states, municipalities, and really private companies that have had to uh, reform their pensions We know that if we address this now and make minimal changes, it will stop us from having to make bigger changes later. All the folks, I'm sure that there were they were 87% funded at one time themselves that now find themselves making massive changes, do damage to their current workers, their future workers, and the taxpayers. And us as legislators have to balance those needs. And so this is a, what I think is a responsible way to address that now by making minimal changes. Doesn't hurt anybody who's currently in the system, doesn't break any promises to those who haven't been hired yet, and it doesn't ask for any taxpayer increases uh, either.
1: Gary Rainey also says while some may think the new plan seems good at first glance, it also has a major flaw that could affect the state's first responders.
5: There is no disability or death benefit, which, really, which means that if a firefighter is killed in the line of duty or disabled permanently in the line of duty, his surviving spouse and or children will receive a refund of his contributions and that is it. There will be no other support for the family uh, for someone who's made that
13: sacrifice.
1: Brodeur says disability has not yet been addressed in the bill, but the House is looking for different ways to solve the problem.
13: Uh, We're looking at options for disability and we're going to address that. Um, One of the options is just to leave it the way it is. If you're in the investment plan and you become disabled, you're automatically moved over to the pension plan. Now, the principle and the premise is that we eventually close the the pension plan down, but we know that's going to take 40, 50 years as those who are currently in the system uh, migrate out. Um, The other option is to look for an employer-funded disability plan in the investment plan.
1: The bill was passed by the House Government Operations Subcommittee and will be moved to discussion in the full House sometime in the next few months. Emotions are running high between Florida State University film students and the Chancellor of the Florida Board of Governors. After a failed partnership between the school's West Palm Beach program and a bankrupt animation studio that costed Florida taxpayers $20 million, the students are still against a proposal to move the program to Tallahassee. Steven Rodriguez has the
3: story. The 24 students in FSU's West Palm Beach Film Program sent an open letter to the board chastising them for not taking their opinions into consideration about the program's future. That prompted a response from board chancellor Frank Brogan, saying the program was, quote, an economic disaster.
4: Kim Walmath with the Florida Board of Governors says the chancellor's intent was to let the students know the board is working for them.
12: We made this decision in the best interest of them, with them in mind, number one, the chancellor wanted to make sure they knew that he was on their side and just wanted to explain to them how we came to that decision.
3: The committee plans to recommend Florida State move the animation program out of West Palm Beach and to Tallahassee's main campus. FSU has argued against moving the program. The board will take a final vote on the issue at its next meeting, February 21st. For Florida Public Radio, I'm Stephen Rodriguez in Tallahassee.
0: Marion County residents can feel a bit safer as the health department spokesman Greg Ackerman says despite the unexpected early start to the flu season, things are looking up.
6: It appears that the, uh, the flu appears to be waning in Marion County. We seem to have seen an early start to the flu season in September of last year, and then we saw the numbers rise fairly significantly in December, but as January has come along and as we move into February, the numbers appear to be going down.
0: Ackerman says though his numbers aren't the exact number of people who have had the flu, it's still a relatively accurate measure.
6: The numbers that I'm talking about are the numbers of people who report to emergency rooms complaining of flu-like symptoms. Let's say they have a, a fairly high temperature, plus they have a cough or a sore throat, and they don't have any other underlying issues that could cause those symptoms. So those are the numbers we're reporting. So basically, emergency rooms appear to be seeing... Fewer people coming, complaining of flu-like symptoms.
0: Ackerman adds that it is not too late to get the flu vaccine and says besides getting the shot, there are other ways people can prevent themselves from contracting the sickness, like washing their hands often. Ackerman says that although the flu season started a few months ago, it's not expected to end until late April.
1: Thanks for tuning in to the front page edition of All Things Considered. This has been a broadcast of Florida's 89.1 i I'm Michael Higdon. And I'm Lindsay Zients.